0: How many of you have worried about something, say, in the last 48 hours? You know, I oh, think, oh, wow, that's awesome. Uh, according to every American survey and statistic, there's a good chance that many of you have worried about money in the last 48 hours. And we've been doing a series called The Flourishing Life. And one of the ways that people do not experience the flourishing life is exactly around the issue of money. Why? Because money is a sneaky little thing, isn't it? How many of you have ever worried about money? You don't have to raise your hand. Okay, cool. We have high participation today. Thank you. I appreciate that. Now, according to most surveys, no matter how much good fortune you've had or how much bad fortune you have had uh, or you've had in your lives, people tend to worry about money pretty much more than anything else in their lives, any other thing that they could worry about. I've worried about money. I worry about housing, housing costs. I worry about what I'm spending. I think about retirement. I think about vacations. All those things go into a calculation. I've worried about money. And the thing about money is that sometimes in our worry, we can slowly allow it to become the most important thing in our lives. And when it becomes the primary focus, it can actually keep us from enjoying the flourishing life, the, God, the life that God has uh, intended for us. It can eat away at us. It can actually start to consume us. And it doesn't happen overnight, but it can do this over time. Another way that people make money an issue um, is this. Uh, they think it will actually make them happy. And I have a question. Why are some of the most wealthy people in the world Some of the most miserable people in the world. Why is that? Why is that? Because money can't make you happy. Yet people still chase it. And people will justify the way that they think about it. They say, well, you know what, the way I think about it is different than the way that person thinks about it. They'll think or say things like, money won't make me happy, I know that, but I don't think about it that way. And then they, they proceed to say, well, if I only had, and fill in the blank, and if I only could do this, fill in the blank, and it's always like just some little amount. There's a couple of quotes I want to read to you. One is from Spike Milligan, and it's this, money can't buy you happiness, but it does bring you a more pleasant form of misery. Um, I don't even know who David Lee Roth is. uh, He's a musician. He has a a similar quote. And he says this, money can't buy you happiness, but it can buy you a yacht big enough to pull up right alongside it. So basically, people are like, yeah, 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 yeah. We've all heard that money can't bring you happiness. Money won't fulfill your deepest desires. But whatever, I'm just going to do what I want anyway. And you see, When money-making or the pursuit of money, the love of money, becomes the primary focus of your life, it's usually done uh, in a way that's unintentional. After all, we're taught from a young age, money will not make you happy. But money has this way of becoming a primary focus over time. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. Could it be that the life that you're seeking, the flourishing that you want to see happen in your life— The deepest desires, the yearnings of your heart that you feel inside, actually have little or nothing to do with money and possessing more stuff. Could it be possible? Over the past few weeks, we've been discussing the most famous teaching of Jesus, which is called the Sermon on the Mount. And he's talking in front of 5,000 people. And this is kind of the argument that he makes. And he understands something about money and possessions and how they're sneaky And how we can sometimes allow our trust to gravitate from our Father in heaven to stuff. And he kind of shows us what happens when we do that. And he shows us that as we connect with him, and as we connect with God our Father, we can actually experience the flourishing life. So keep that in mind when we look at, uh, and we're going to take a look at what he said in this. So we look at Matthew 6, which Leah read, wonderful reading by the way. Uh, In Matthew 6, it says, do not store up for yourself treasures On earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store it for yourselves, treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Okay, Jesus uses the word treasures, which in the original language meant more than just possessions. It it meant more like possessions. It meant possessions that you think are going to make you happy. And what Jesus is getting at is that the accumulation of stuff does not work. The more stuff you have, this is the equation, the more stuff you have does not equate to greater happiness. Let me ask you a personal question. Do you have the desire to acquire? For some of us, it's shoes, it's handbags, it's houses. It's a certain kind of car. It's a certain kind of comfort. That's me. I like a certain kind of comfort. Uh, And I want it to be just a little bit more than what I do. Is anyone else in the comfort category? I don't need like a really nice car. I just want I just want to be in business class or above when I have to take a flight. (laughs) Just every time, you know? And I want to sit like in the second row, and then when people are, because I could see it first, and when they come past, I could look at them and I kind of look away. You know that look that they gave you in first class? I want to do that. Anyway, um, I don't don't actually want to do that. My friend loves doing that. He sits in first class. He loves looking at them and looking away. Like, (laughs) it's funnier to me, I guess. Uh, But anyway, uh, you know, my wife and I just went through this uh, uh, yesterday. So we're looking at Emirates Airlines, because we're thinking about taking, I know, Get ready. So we're thinking about, we're coming up on 20 years. We're not there. I think we'll make it. A little presumptuous. But I think we're going to. Fingers crossed. <laughs> uh, so we're going to make it to 20 years. That'll be next year. So um, this year will be 19, and the next year will be 20. That's how counting works. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go on a big 20-year anniversary trip. Okay, And we're like, why don't we go someplace? Let's check out the Maldives or something like that. And what do you do when you want to go to someplace you've never been to, like the Maldives or whatever? That's right. You go to YouTube, and you look up uh, vloggers who have been there, and you see what they did, okay? So that's what we did. And we looked up this one couple, and they're all Australian, and they're a couple, and they're like, well, they won't tell the phone. And they gave us three options. You like my uh, Australian accent? G'day, mate. And um, so they went to an inexpensive one, a medium one, and like an expensive one. We're like, ooh, we could do the medium one. That would be good if we did that. And then we started looking at flights. And we're like, kind of going through the Emirates website. It takes like 27 hours to get there. Uh, And we're like, oh, man, I don't want to sit and coach to Emirates. And they're like, well, what's like uh, Coach Economy Plus? And they're like, well, what's business class? And then we started really looking at the finishes in the first class cabin, which you get your own little pod. And it's inlaid with 24 karat gold and private thing. And we're like, we should do it. And then we like, load it up as if we were going to buy it that day. <laughs> we're just getting estimates. It was $25,000 a ticket. And we're like, oh, <laughs> comfort. Comfort drives me. And we sometimes, if you're similar to me, you want to be comfortable too. And Jesus says there's two kinds of treasure. There's earthly treasure, and for some of us that's the seeking of comfort or its possessions, and then there's, there's heavenly treasure. And earthly treasure is the stuff we acquire, the shoes, the boat, the car, the things, the clothes, whatever. And those things, there's nothing wrong with those things, but those things are temporary. Temporary. And the satisfaction we can get for them is limited. It doesn't last. But there's another kind of treasure out there. It's more important than the next flight or the next vacation or the next whatever. Jesus invites us to value things that are eternal uh, over what is temporary. And it doesn't mean we just don't enjoy some of the temporary stuff. He He says, just don't chase after it. Don't treasure it like the eternal stuff. And in doing so, what he is doing is he's raising our vision. He's raising our vision, and he's saying that there's another treasure out there that can actually bring you joy, that can actually make you happier, that can actually feel like you can know in your knower that you are experiencing the flourishing life. There's a treasure out there that will actually satiate the feeling of the flourishing life. So when Jesus says, the store of churches is in heaven, he's inviting us to invest in what really matters. You can invest, we could invest 25K a ticket into an Emirates first class flight, or we could invest in what truly matters. And it's about investing in things that bring more of God's kingdom to earth. And what the Bible says is that we get to participate and remaking our world, that that God chooses just not to do his thing on earth without humans, we get to do it together. So when we join up with what God is doing in the world, we're participating, we are co-creating with the creator and making things new. For example, when you invest in another person, when you invest your time, when you invest your energy with someone here at Pac-City, someone in this room, you say, I'm going to make time to meet with this person. I'm going to listen to them. If they ask for advice, I'm going to give them advice. If they don't ask for advice, I won't give unsolicited advice. Like you do the right things in that conversation. When you listen, you tell them, you, you go beyond just listening. You're there for them. Maybe you speak into their life and you say, here's what I see in you. Here's the good things I see God doing. Here's the potential I see in you. When you do that stuff, that has impact. That is, has real impact and that's what the kingdom of God looks like. And that's the stuff of the kingdom. Why? Because God loves people. And when you and I love people and we care about them, we are aligning with God's kingdom. So that's what it looks like to store yourself treasures in heaven. So that, um, so in his first statement, Jesus ta- challenges us to resist storing up treasures. Uh, On earth and in stores instead store them in heaven the second example that Jesus uses is the problem of wealth in our eyesight it's very fascinating he says the eye is the lamp of the body if your eyes are healthy your whole body will be full of light but if your eyes are unhealthy your whole body will be full of darkness if then the light within you is darkness how great is that darkness Does that seem a little cryptic? I'm going to break it down for you. What is he talking about here? Now, what Jesus is doing here is actually pretty quite brilliant. The words healthy and unhealthy are likely translated in the original language to also reflect generosity and stinginess. What he's talking about is generosity and stinginess. And he's showing us that wealth and possessions, how we handle those things, reveal what's already going on in our heart around generosity or stinginess. It reveals what's happening inside of us. His point is simple. A great way to know if you're aligned with Jesus is that if you're filled with the light of Jesus, generosity will flow out of us. And if you're filled with darkness, if we hold on too tightly to what we have, then stinginess will flow out of us. So when it comes to generosity, what Jesus is saying here is simple. Your actions speak louder than your words, and your actions and my actions reveal our true heart condition. So let me ask you a personal question. What's going on inside of you when it comes to money and possessions? Do the actions of your heart reveal generosity, or does it reveal stinginess? Jesus uses a third metaphor to address the problem of money, and it's pretty straightforward. Of all the metaphors we've seen, this is the most straightforward. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one or love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, it doesn't take a theologian to understand what he's saying. He's saying there's two masters, there's money, and there's God. You can't serve both. You can't have, serve both God and money. You just can't. You see, money is tricky. Money is powerful. It will divide your thoughts and your emotions up inside of you. So, essentially, what Jesus is saying is, listen, if you're going to follow me, if you truly believe that I am offering you the full and complete life, that my way of living is superior than humans' best version of, their, of, of the way of life, if you believe that, then you're going to have to put money and possessions in their proper place. You don't have to swear it off. You don't have to do all these things. But you have to learn to keep them in your proper place. So then after stating the problem of money, what it does and how we should think about it, Jesus gets at it this He uses this challenge to get at the very heart of the issue. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink or about your body or what you will wear is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Question. Have you ever added more time to your life by worrying? No. Let me ask you another question. Have you ever logged into your bank account and looked at your checking account and just started intently worrying and has your bank account ever gone up? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God, I'm a millionaire. No. Because worrying doesn't actually add any money to your bank account, and it doesn't take care of the financial issues that you face or anything. Let me ask you another way. Does worrying do anything productive at all whatsoever? This is a no-brainer. No, that's right, Kate. No. Worrying, you know what? No one ever said, hey, you know what works? I know you, a little life hack, worrying. Worrying works. No, it does not work. He goes on, he says, and why do you worry about clothes? See all the flowers of the field. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, who was a very famous uh, king of Israel, the former king of Israel, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans, people that don't follow God, uh, that's, that's like a term, this is the people that do not follow God or care about what God has to th- say, they run after these things. And your Father in heaven, your Heavenly Father, knows that you need them. And so Jesus is getting at the very thing that keeps us from the flourishing life. An unhealthy focus on money can reveal the true issue of the heart, which is worry. And Jesus says, don't worry. Do not worry. You do not have to worry. Do you believe that? Do you understand that? You don't have to worry. Now, I know as you sit here at 1049 a.m. on a Sunday morning, you go, it's a lot easier said than done. Don't worry. It's like the equivalent of saying just don't think about it. I recognize it. Easier said than done, right? But what's helpful here is that Jesus gives us a reason not to worry. He says, look at the birds, look at the fields. Aren't you more valuable than them? I'm going to take care of you. I think the problem is, is sometimes we think, oh, the scriptures were written so long ago, And there's this gap or this distance between what was said so long ago and what's applicable to me. I have to ask you another personal question. What we believe here, uh, let me set it up though, what we believe at PAC City, at this church, is that God still speaks, that He's with us in this room right now, that He has not developed a case of cosmic laryngitis, that He is around, that He's speaking. And he wants to speak to you and to me. So have you allowed the creator of the universe to speak into your life? To tell you how valuable you are? How loved you are? How important you are? Because that's what he wants to do if you'll allow him. And when you allow him to do that, that just doesn't change you in your mind. It changes you in your heart because you're experiencing the care and the joy And the love that God has for you. And if you haven't, I I feel compelled to say this. You are valuable. God sees you. You know what God knows? He actually knows more about your finances and the things you're concerned about. He knows those issues better than you do. And God loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you to show that he loves you. And he loves me. And you need to hear that you are not alone. I don't care what you've done in your past, what you're doing now, or what you will do in your future. God is with us. He desires to draw close to us. He's with you. You know, Jesus just doesn't leave us to figure this out on our own. He actually offers a solution. And here's your solution. He says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Okay. Get this. Jesus understands the human brain. And he understands that your brain is going to be filled with something. Your thoughts are going to be filled with something. He's keenly aware that you're just not like an empty cup just wandering around thinking about nothing. Your mind's going to be full of something. Okay? and what he's also saying is that you and I have agency. We have a choice in what we will fill our mind with. Okay? And so what he's getting at here is the solution to your worries. The solution to your financial desires is to focus on what matters. To preoccupy your mind, to preoccupy your mind with the ways that you can participate with the kingdom of God. And what does it look like? What does that look like to, to uh, seek first the kingdom of God? What's it look like to seek first God's kingdom with your money? What does it look like to replace your worry with kingdom priorities? How do you do it? After all, you can't just wander the earth saying, well, you know, Jesus said seek first his kingdom. And you're like, you just can't walk the earth being like, I, I'm seeking first the kingdom. You actually have to do something, okay? And the way we seek first his kingdom is we learn to take in God's perspective about everything, about finances, about what he's up to in the world, and we prioritize that above other things. I mean, what the Bible says about this is really interesting and helpful. For one, you know, the the scriptures say that we should give, that we should prioritize giving away part of our money, not because God needs our money, but because this shapes our heart to be generous people. And that is one of the ways that God helps us to be shaped. And it helps us into the flourishing life. And so you're encouraged in this room to give to kingdom priorities. Give to, the, give, give to kingdom ideas that promote the good news of Jesus in our world, that help others to help find their way back to God and give to ministries that seek the flourishing of the city, that care for the poor and care about justice. That's a a practical way to seek first God's kingdom. Second way to seek first God's kingdom, and this is very specific financially, is around the idea of saving, saving your money. The scriptures make it absolutely clear that a wise person will save more money than they are spending. Okay? It also says that when you are in debt, you are a slave to the slave owner, and it carries with you, it follows you around, and it feels like a weight. Listen, a way to seek the kingdom, a way to seek the kingdom is, if you're spending more than you're bringing in, you have to stop. And I understand that there might be some extenuating circumstances, But understanding the long-term effects of spending more than you bring in. And some of you might be going through kind of a work crisis or in between jobs or whatever. I recognize that. But the general principle that we see in the scriptures that are kingdom related is that if you spend more than you bring in, eventually this will destroy you. And this will keep you from the flourishing life. It also keeps you from being able to do the things that you want to do. And if you did want to help someone in need, or if you did want to give to a kingdom priority, you you feel that you can't do it. You feel trapped by it. I understand that. I just read an article that uh, consumer debt in the United States is at an all-time high. Um, I think it's around $21,000 per per family. Uh, It's around that. Um, If I'm off by a few thousand dollars, don't tell me. I don't want to hear any feedback from you whatsoever on that number, but it's around that. It's, it's like enough where you go, ooh, ooh, that stings a little, okay? But the good news is, in all of this, is that there's hope. There's hope. If you or someone you love is struggling financially, if debt has become a real thing, There are tools and resources that can help you. You will not get out of debt overnight, but you can get out of debt eventually. There are ways of prioritizing and changing the way you think about money, which are there's some kingdom principles around that, that can help you get on a healthy path. And I'm not gonna share with those with you right now, but if that's you, and I understand that money and not making debt can feel weird or awkward, or even a little bit shameful. I'm not here to make it feel shameful, but if you need help with this, Uh, I have some resources. Our team has some resources. We'd love to point you in the right direction. Listen. Jesus is sitting there with this big crowd, and he says, you need to be free from the grips of money. And the reason you need to be free from the grips and the, the misprioritization of money is because it's connected to worry, and it's connected to provision, and what God wants to do. And Jesus says in the scriptures as he says to us here that you can be free from that. I used an illustration a few weeks ago. I'm gonna use it again. You're on a cruise ship. There's two ways to be on a cruise ship, okay? Uh, Lupita was just on a cruise ship. Uh, there's two ways to be on a cruise ship. The fun way and the not so fun way, all right? The, the not so, and, and some of you are like, <laughs> I live in West LA, there's no fun way to be on a cruise ship. But, uh, yeah, but it, we're not talking to you. Um, say you're on a cruise ship, okay? Once you get on that boat, you're on the boat, okay? And there's no getting off the boat except for excursions. And you're on that boat. You're stuck on the boat. How you are on that boat has one of two ways of playing out. You can enjoy everything that's on the boat. You can go to the shows. You can go up to the Lido deck and eat a piece of pizza. You can get dressed up. And a ball gown and a suit and tie tuxedo, and you can go to the formal dining. You can do all the fun things. You can go do the karaoke over at the Starlight Bar. There's there's literally thousands of functions, or you could walk yourself to the very front of the ship, kind of like Leonardo DiCaprio, and you could just be looking over the edge the whole time, being like, "Oh, I hope, uh, I hope we don't run into some." I hope the boat doesn't crash, I hope we don't run into a sandbar, or I hope this boat doesn't sink and you could be freaking out the whole time and you're like, you're looking up at the captain and you're looking down at the ocean, you're looking up and you're like, I hope this thing is all right, and you could ruin the whole trip by just standing on the front of the ship. Now, which way would you prefer to be on a cruise ship? Well, if you had to be on a cruise ship, which way would you prefer to be? It's the first way, not the second way. And I think a lot of times that's kind of how it works with the Lord. That by God's design, we are on a ship. A ship that is pretty much out of your control. You have, I hate to say this to you, the amount of control you actually have in life is not that much. But God is in control. And what we see from the scriptures is that God loves you. That he's with you. And he's with you. And he, and, but we see that you're not just on any ship. You're on God's ship. And God has everything under control. God has your back. God will provide. So preoccupy your mind with the good stuff. The ship will get there. You will be okay. Everything is going to be all right eventually. So I'm going to close. I want to say this. I really want each of us to experience the power that comes from the confidence that God is with you in your life. He's with you. He's with you. And I'm asking you or inviting you to consider orienting your life in a way that possessions and wealth don't keep you from the flourishing life. And my prayer is, is that the life you always wanted would come from God as you press in and give him the opportunity to do it.